Welcome to Politics and Psychology. I'm your host, Dr. Renee Carr, and today I will be giving a reaction to the documentary, The War on Children. This was a film that was recently released in February 2024 by Robbie Starbuck and also his wife, Landon Starbuck. And in the movie synopsis, they say that it exposes the ongoing battle for control of the next generation and their minds. This film reveals the battle plan being used to control the future. To win this war, you have to understand the tactics of your enemy. So I will be giving you my feedback and reaction to that, as well as including additional commentary as we go along. I did listen to a few parts of it, so I will not include the parts that are mainly divisive and political, meaning it's only about Republicans or only about Democrats, but I'll give the part that's most meaningful, which is the content that relates directly to the safety of children. So let's get started. What they're chanting is, well, first they're at a gay pride parade and they're wearing very little bit of clothing like uh, G-strings or other revealing clothing. There are also children and infants in the crowd of participants who are observing this. And so what the parade people are saying is that we're here, we're queer, we're coming after your children. So this is important to understand that if not only are we celebrating individual sexual preferences, but we're also going to then promote those to children, not only by exposing it to them, by our visual examples, by seeing our bodies in this parade, but also letting you know that as parents, we're coming for your children to project our own sexuality onto your children. And this, and obviously the parents who are there see nothing wrong with this, which is why they have their children there. I think in many ways the adults had to become desensitized first to be willing to subject children to this type of content. What happened to society where we've all been groomed to now think that there's some sort of subjective interpretation of a blowjob or anal sex tutorial showing that to minor children? What she's referring to is in there are several school systems with curriculums in our country, including in New York City, where they are saying that sexual education should begin as early as kindergarten or when children are five. And what they are showing children with these pictures is how to masturbate, how to recognize when you have an erection, how to stimulate yourself to achieve orgasm, or how to recognize what arouses you and therefore you have an erection. They also show very visual pictures of little girls stimulating themselves as well. But they also had another clip in here where there was a book and they were showing the boy 
how to masturbate with a jar or with a bottle of soda and how to use the sucking motion to produce an ejaculation. And the boys were having a contest to see who could ejaculate the most. And these are books that are being taught in school. So on one hand, when we talk about banning books, these are the type of books that are being banned. However, our country is also going to the extreme where they're also saying, oh, well, if it's a book about a black person, as he recently heard in Florida with Governor Ron um, DeSantis, and they're objecting to having to get approval for reading a book which may be considered racially motivated by it being by a black author during Black History Month. So in no, in no uh, sense is it appropriate to ban books that are appropriate for the direct education of a child, but when you're teaching a child sexual material that is pretty much a child grooming sexual behavior, that is something that does need to be banned and that has no place within the school. But showing the anal sex, showing how male-on-male sex works in our high schools, that is happening, and that is something that she's referring to when she's talking about the anal sex uh, diagrams that they are showing inside the school. The attack on identity becomes even clearer when you see a mom describe how they knew their kid was trans based on their green vegetable eating habits. The pattern of everything um, that he had experienced as a child, including eating green vegetables because that boosts testosterone, were just methods of his body trying to become who he was meant to be. That is completely not true. Children do not subconsciously or consciously choose vegetables or eat vegetables a certain way or even choose a certain color based off of who they are trying to be or what their body is. You eat vegetables because you eat vegetables. But it does show us in this clip that there are many parents who are projecting onto their children their own gender confusion or their own physical insecurities or their own sexual confusion. And they project these onto their children by saying, well, I'm helping them so they don't have to go through what I went through, or I'm helping them recognize it early because when I was seven, I knew that I was different. However, this is completely not true. And by saying that you can tell if a child has gender dysphoria just based off of their vegetable selections, then that's definitely not true and, and completely not science. When we begin to understand the, the history behind this agenda, which wasn't just to um, disciple children through the public school system. It was to actually change laws all around America that were passed with the explicit intention of protecting children, family, and marriages. The goal was to actually work through the American Law Institute and other revolutionary groups to bring in this new social science. How then are we going to get this kind of curriculum into the schools. Well, we have to pass laws. But they had to get this new social science um, into curriculum. But then we gotta get we gotta get the state boards of education to accept it, right? So you know what they did? They start sending sex experts to lobby and argue before state boards of education to accept this new radical sex ed as just the norm, healthy public health kind of curriculum we need. Penthouse footed the bill 
to send the sex experts to lobby before state boards of education to allow for this kind of comprehensive sexuality education. Yes, Penthouse and Playboy, of course. So when we talk about parents projecting onto children their own issues or desires, the same is what happened for the, in, um, the introduction of quote-unquote social science to justify even bringing sex education into the classroom or radical sexual education. And an example of it being a projection by the adults onto the children is one showing well, what are the sexual interests and what are the financial interests of the individuals who are seeding the money or providing the money to the sex experts to then go to Congress to lobby for this to happen. So there's two things that, hap that are happening here. One, when you are considered a doctor or a healthcare expert, there is a authority bias that happens, which makes the person who is not the doctor or not the expert automatically believe that that person has the expertise and the authority and therefore I cannot question because I don't have that level of education. And they take whatever that doctor or person in a white coat or a lab coat is saying as truth. When you send sex experts who are being paid by Penthouse and Playboy magazine to then go lobby to Congress to justify bringing these intense sexual um, sexuality programs into the school systems, that's why we have to understand that who are the lobbyists that are pushing for legislation? Because not all legislation is passed because it truly is for the benefit of our communities, our families, or our children. It's often for the financial benefit of whoever is paying those lobbyists to go lobby on their behalf. And so when many politicians, elected officials are hearing the, the lobbying reports, hearing the data, it sounds good to them, but they don't always have time to then go see, okay, well, then who is actually behind the person behind the lobbyist? Who is the big funder for this? And do I see any dirty hands or any third-party interests that could be a conflict of interest for myself? They often are just looking at the check that they may get if they vote for or vote in a particular way that the lobbyist is heavily suggesting. But it also lets us know that as individuals in society, as voters, make sure that you are aware of not only what the legislation is, but also who is behind or who are the funders behind the legislation. So in this instance, the whole sexual education was brought to the public school system by Hugh Hefner, who is the publisher and CEO of the Playboy magazine and also well known for having sex with thousands of women, thousands of beautiful women, also publishing the Playboy monthly calendar and known for his wild sexual parties that were consisted mostly of um, wild orgies. And his partner was Dr. Alfred Kinsey. Now, Dr. Kinsey has since become known as the father of the sexual revolution and that's because with his partnership with Hugh Hefner and their funding and lobbying dollars to push sexual education inside the schools, much of his work and his tainted research has been used to influence social and cultural values for sex, for family, and also for gender as well as gender identity. 
and it was later discovered that Dr. Kinsey was a pedophile. So if you have people who have sexual orgies and uh, pornographic magazines as funders and also individuals who are pedophiles who have the money to then push and pay for lobbyists to then lobby to have these sexual materials put into the classroom, then you can no longer say that there is no agenda that is purely science or that it's even a quote unquote social science. What it really is, is a manipulation of data based off of the deviant sexual preferences of the funders of that. And when we're talking about the manipulation of science, this is one of the examples. I'm going to actually give you two. So what Alfred Kinsey or Dr. Alfred Kinsey did was he based his research off of the belief that infants, toddlers, prepubescent children were actually sexual beings because he put infants, toddlers, and prepubescent children in laboratories and manually stimulated them until they achieved orgasm. And he would continue to do that for hours at a time. And each time that child had an orgasm, that was then documented as more proof that children were sexual. Not realizing that orgasm after orgasm or manual stimulation of a child's clitoris or a boy's penis could be actually very painful, but they were subjecting children to this um, forced stimulation. And then because their bodies were responding as bodies do, they counted that not as painful, not as lab-based rape or experiences of pedophilia, but they said that that was actual scientific proof that children are sexual beings. And when you look at the earlier pamphlets that were funded by Red Penthouse, they didn't say child or children or even women and men. They would say sexual beings in their sex education pamphlets because they were viewing all humans as sexual regardless of their age. So that's the setup number one based off of manipulation of science, meaning they use a scientific method, but they did not include that it was unethical and that it was also abusive. The second part of their false scientific data was that they didn't explain how they used their participants when they conducted these sex education and gender surveys. So when you have a scientific study, which involves human participants, you have a control group, which doesn't have any of the testing variables or um, scientific experiments added to them. And then you have the experimental group, which was, which receives the experimental treatment. So they did not include in their research that their experimental group, meaning the person that they are asking to complete these surveys and to acknowledge any experiences of their own sexuality in their childhood, they failed to include or admit that their only population that they tested were convicted pedophiles and convicted rapists. So when you have a tainted experimental group and you're using their survey to only give you answers, that's a way to manipulate to get the desired response that you want to then support your data or your own agenda. So when you're using uh, funding that has a conflict of interest, 
when your research is being manipulated to not show truth or to not show a wide variety of variables and individuals, but it's a very specific group of people that you can reliably predict will give you a very specific response based off of that's why they were in jail, then you are skewing the data and you're skewing the science. But then when you give this science to lobbyists to then present to persons in Congress, the science looks good. But again, the research off of where this data comes from, where these numbers come from is being withheld. And that's how the perverse sexual education has grown from just explaining to children about reproduction to now let's force onto individuals that not only can you have sex at a young age, but you can also change your gender scientifically, which obviously is not true. In 1980, in, a, in an article called Attacking the Last Taboo, Wardell Pomeroy was described as part of the pro-incest lobby. And in this interview with Time Magazine, he says, incest between children and adults can sometimes be beneficial and it need not be a sign of mental illness. That was said by the executive director of the Kinsey Institute and one of the first board members. The, the primary problem with Kinsey was that his entire social science and science on sex was based off of lies. So what the documentary is saying so far is that not only are parents projecting their own issues onto children, but you also have scientific researchers who are projecting their ideas and beliefs or sexual preferences onto children. And therefore that's part of the war on children, because not only are those preferences then projected onto children, but then made into a law, which then makes it a requirement for students to have to learn and be exposed to in the classroom. If you watch the news, you've probably heard politicians and pundits saying things like this. Transgender children are not having surgeries. That's really important to say. In his tweet, he talked about stopping surgeries for people under 18, which is not a thing. That is not a thing that happens. There is misinformation presented that somehow that we're doing surgery on minors or even children. And that simply is not true. That is completely true. If that were the case, there wouldn't be hospitals in children's hospitals of Washington, D.C., of Boston, of hospitals around the country, including in the Kaiser Network, that are not deliberately performing, quote unquote, gender affirming surgeries on children. And so this is part of the media manipulation of gaslighting society to not let you know that this is what they are doing to your children. Not only are they saying this is not true, this is not happening, but in actuality, it is very much happening and children are being harmed by it. Is we've always had sort of this idea of adults can make decisions and we may not approve of other people's decisions, but for the most part, we're like live and let live, leave people alone. But with kids, there is an obligation. I mean, for example, if a child is being abused at home, even by the parents, physically or otherwise, the state has an obligation to go in and rescue that child. I think it's the same here, but it's the opposite. The government's funding the schools and then the schools are saying, oh, we're not going to tell the parents. And we're going to change the kids' clothes, call them by another name, encourage counselors. I mean, ultimately, we're going to talk about, are they going to give the counselors going to give them medication there at school without their parents' permission? So with the government being the funder of public schools, the government can then mandate which curriculum is allowed and which one is required or which one is not allowed. So with the requirement of legislative-backed sexual education curriculums, 
then teachers are being forced to include this. Also, the school counselors are being forced to accept not only the sexual behaviors, but also the sexual preferences, as well as the gender confusion of the youth. And they're also being told that because of the quote unquote child's right to privacy or child's right to be a sexual being, because they are putting the quote unquote rights of the children to be a sexual being, then they are overriding the parent's right to parent by saying that, well, it's the children's right. Therefore, no need to tell the parents about their child. There's also no need to tell the parents about your child being exposed to another child who does have gender dysphoria being in close private spaces with your child. I think what's really worse is the situation happening in the locker room because this is this is sexual assault and instead of treating it like sexual assault, we've got a group of people in our country who are running a large majority of our country who are actually more likely to charge someone like you with a hate crime for saying something about it than they are to go after the man who's exposing themselves. And I think this is what the producers were referring to in the beginning about the parents being groomed and therefore that giving them greater access to the children. So if it's considered offensive to speak against someone's gender, gender confusion, or sexuality, and we don't have to inform you of how their choices will affect your privacy, it's now becoming where you are wrong if you assert your right to privacy or your right to know about your child, even if you are the child who is genetically or biologically more vulnerable than the person who is experiencing the gender dysphoria. And that's what you're seeing in these locker rooms and in these bathrooms. And it's also very interesting that it's only happening to vulnerable, the vulnerable gender, meaning the female, not necessarily women going wanting to go into the male's bathrooms, but only men wanting to come into the female's bathrooms under the guise of gender dysphoria. So why are there no cases of females like you deciding that they're a man and coming to compete against men my size? You know, why, why isn't that happening? This is only happening one way. Women don't want to go into men's restrooms. All of these stories, it's only contributing to the erasure of women. This is actually a point that I think is so important. Um, in regards to that NCAA championship, we had another swimmer from, from Yale who was a female transitioning to male. Finishes dead last every time. The only male swimmer that Isaac beat was a male swimmer with one arm. And it's because Isaac would have never and will never be able to compete against the men at that same level. This is the fastest meet in the world. And it, it goes back to the question of why isn't this happening the other way around? And it's because there's only something to gain from men being in women's facilities, bathrooms, prisons, sororities, locker rooms, sports. The female you hear talking is Riley Gaines. And there was a big publicized issue about Riley Gaines, who was a top swimmer in the NCAA, which is the National Collegiate Athletic Association. There was a championship and there was a person there, a guy with gender dysphoria, and he's going by the name of Leah Thomas, L-I-A Thomas. And so because Leah Thomas had a tie with Riley, the person who was the referee 
gave the award or gave the place to Leah and said that, well, Leah has to take pictures. This is a photo op to promote transgender activism. And so obviously Riley was upset about it. But what Riley is talking about is how there is a biological difference and a biological gain for men entering into women's sports and women's bathrooms, but there is no biological, uh, social, or career gain by women going into men's bathrooms or into men's sport. And the person she mentions who was a female who did go into men's sports is a a female who now calls herself Isaac Hennig, H-E-N-I-G. And in every swimming competition that Isaac entered into against the men, of course, she lost because she doesn't have the biological makeup needed to compete against men. So today, does a girl have a right to a space for her to undress without men staring at her or without her having to look at male genitalia? If it's up to the Biden administration, then no. Um, This means men could join sororities. Men would have full access to bathrooms, changing areas, locker rooms on campuses. Um, They could take academic and athletic scholarships away from women. They could be housed in dorm rooms with women and you can do nothing about it. Actually, if you were to say something about it, you're guilty of sexual harassment. In addition to not being able to say anything about someone's sexuality or gender confusion, Remember when we were talking about the quote-unquote child's right to privacy, if they were experiencing gender confusion or being sexually active and the school or the school counselor or the teacher knew about it, they were not allowed to reveal that information to the parent. So when parents are aware, they are also being penalized or even imprisoned for not encouraging or fostering their child's gender confusion. And they are also either having their children taken away from them from social services, or again, having jail time, if they do not allow the child to receive the hormone blockers, the hormone replacement therapy, or even to have the full surgery. So we're about to hear a testimony of a mother who did experience her child being taken away from her because she didn't agree with that. When her grades was going down, that's when I went to the high school and talked about, you know, her depression. And I was hoping to get help to give her more time for the test. Instead of that, what they did is send her to LGBTQ group. And then she's starting to talk about, she felt like she was in the wrong body. I'm here, you see a girl, but inside I'm a boy. And I go like, since when? I didn't know that she was going to these groups at school. Nobody at the school told you? No. They secretly sent her to these groups. How was her mental health in the limited visits you had with her? She was not able to sleep. After, you know, going through all this, their depression is worse than what it was before. Why? Because now they are dealing with pain, with medication, going back and forward to the doctor. Surgery is not not just one. They don't tell them that. I thought she was going to go into therapy first, that they will explain the positive, the negative, and, you know, the side effects. If you want to help my daughter, help her inside out. What's in here? Why she's this depression after the testosterone shot? She tried to suicide twice. When CPS came to remove your daughter, will you walk us through that process? 
they planned all this with uh, the mother and this other uh, kid from the high school. Oh my gosh, I was crying. And then what should I do? And I, I need to do something. My neighbor had cameras, so they were able to see. That car was there for five minutes waiting for my daughter to get out. That made me feel like the, my daughter was insured doing this plan. So all the time that they, they had my daughter, they sent it to a group home. I couldn't go visit after court. It was her new home now. So after we went to court, we had a meeting there with LGBT, CPS, uh, the people who work there at uh, the group home, uh, trying to convince me that what my daughter needs is going to the, the transition and I have to respect her. And you have to refer to that, not to my daughter, you have to say, my son. And I say, no, I can't do that. This is the testimony of a mother named Abigail, and because she did not support her daughter um, having the genital surgeries, then the school counselors were then reporting the mother as not accepting the child's right to privacy and also claiming that it was abuse because she was not affirming who the child really is, meaning that because she's not agreeing with the child being called a boy rather than a girl, and because she's resistant to the hormone therapy, because she's resistant to the genital surgeries, then that means she is abusing and not allowing that child to have their right to their gender expression. The child, they removed the child from the home. You heard say they were in the group home. They started the testosterone shots, and the daughter attempted suicide twice, and with her last attempt, she actually sat in front of a train, and then it was the train running over her that um, resulted in a completed suicide. And this is all because they, the mother took the time to go to the school to try to get accommodations for her daughter to have more time to complete a test because the depression was making her not able to think as clearly or as quickly, which is a true symptom of depression. Instead of actually addressing the true cause of the depression, they instead immediately put the child into um, LGBTQ groups and not telling the mother and therefore encouraging this child that it's not really depression, it's only depression because you don't acknowledge that you're not really a girl, you're really a boy, and once you accept this, then you'll be okay. But of course, as we see, they didn't address the underlying issue. The girl continued to be depressed and ultimately committed suicide. What would you say to parents that don't understand the very serious result that can happen by not taking action to protect their children? What I will say is not to trust the school, the principal, the school psychologist, because now they are working on this agenda. So I will ask the parents to get involved in school. Go inside and ask them what, what are they reading. Because now it's not math, it's not science, it's not uh, English. It's going to this ideology. Unfortunately, this is happening more often rather than less often. 
So much so that even if there are two parents who are living together, raising a child, and this child experiences gender dysphoria, the courts will then take the child out of the home and give full custody to the parent who is advocating for that child with gender dysphoria to have the surgeries, to have the hormonal replacements, and will not support and will also possibly imprison the parent who does not support the gender dysphoria, even if that person is advocating for mental health treatment before any type of medical hormonal therapies. Despite the mental health issues that exist prior to identifying as transgender, one of the top methods used to induce guilt by trans activists who support child mutilation is citing a study from The Trevor Project. That study says that giving kids hormones for a sex change will reduce their suicide risk. What they don't tell you is that it wasn't a scientific study at all. It was a quiz which found youth through targeted ads and offered them $50 prizes to respond. The results also excluded data on the self-identified 36% of responding youth who did not want hormone therapy. They also used this desecration of science to say that puberty blockers would lower the suicide risk for kids too. I think it's safe to say that pharmaceutical company AbbVie got their money's worth when they donated 50 grand to the Trevor Project since they make the drug Lupron that's given to kids as a puberty blocker. It's also given to pedophile child rapists to chemically castrate them, but I'm sure they don't want to talk about that. DOD doctors Noelle Larson and Natasha Shvey argued in the American Journal of Public Health the kids must be affirmed and immediately moved onto puberty blockers or hormones if they have dysphoria. Dr. Klein even claimed that kids as young as seven can make this decision on their own. He called this a human right for the child. This is who the military has in charge of this issue. Some major Pentagon doctors recently came out and they said that they believed that children had the ability to decide which gender they are, that they could change back and forth, and they also were promoting transitioning children. We've also found that they are, in fact, transitioning children. How did this happen within our own military that we've got doctors who are transitioning the children of our service members? And what's upsetting about this is that when you're in the military, you're often gone for one year, sometimes two years. And so imagine if you are the enlisted person, you're in the service, and you're going away for a tour of duty, and you come back, because you were not in the home, then depending on your school district, that school could have taken custody of that child away from the parent who was not in the military, who was home with the child, and that child could have undergone a full hormonal replacement and genital surgery without your permission just because you were on active duty or you were in the front lines and didn't have any opportunity even to object. Moreover, you could not object because you are in the military receiving military health care and the DOD, which is in charge of the military health care, is stating that it's the child's right to have these surgeries even if they are under 10 years old. So if you have parents being penalized with prison time or being separated from their children or child, it conveys a very strong message that not supporting gender dysphoria through the point of childhood genital surgeries, not supporting that for your child is wrong and that the child is right, that the child is able to make individual independent decisions about his or her gender and therefore his or her sexuality. 
And then when that information or those foundational thoughts are then compounded with the beginning of this whole sexual education in classes, viewing individuals as sexual beings, regardless of their infants or adults, if you have all of that, then you create a very strong foundation for pedophiles then being able to say, well, I should not go to jail for having sex with a toddler because he or she was able to achieve orgasm and therefore is a sexual being and therefore wanted this. When you add this argument of the pedophiles with the actual behaviors of school counselors or in classroom or in school, LGBTQIA plus communities and groups coming into the school, telling the children not to tell your parents This is no different from the everyday activities of a pedophile grooming a child, telling him or her to keep this a secret and reinforcing their confusion about their sexuality, their insecurities about themselves, using all of those weaknesses and vulnerabilities for the direct exploitation of the child and the direct pleasure of the adult. Psychology Today reports that 99% of child sexual abuse involves grooming. The methods to groom a child include selecting a victim. A pedophile named Jack Reynolds gave what's now a famous interview where he was asked how he selected his victims. How did you get them alone? Grooming. Um, I would check out their family situation. I would check out their clothing to see how well they were. When we were on the ballparks, or on the, on the gym floor, you know, I would make sure which ones I wanted to molest, I would give them special attention. Were there certain characteristics that you looked for in children before molesting them? In children, yes, but more I also looked at their families. If I thought the father was a threat, I would not approach the child. The, the kids who were most at risk are the ones with no fathers around or fathers who are weak and are not going to stand up for their child. Predators admit that they select the vulnerable. Those with little supervision online are prime targets. That's one way predators gain access to them. Then those predators develop trust. This can be done many ways, but one is to give rewards, such as attention or likes on social media. Step four is to desensitize the child to sexual content and physical contact. Look no further again than the social media algorithms to do that. Step five is what's called post-abuse maintenance behaviors. Those can look like persuading a minor that it's normal to be sexually exploited. Social media does this as well when a kid sees that sexualized girls get all the likes. Social media isn't just sexualizing our kids. It's also a vector of attack in the child trafficking trade. To learn more about this, we talked to someone who was sold online over a thousand times, beginning at age 14. A big news outlet, The Atlantic, ran a headline saying child trafficking essentially is a conspiracy theory. Is that true? No, that's not true. I wish that was the case, to be honest. I wish that that was really what was going on. Um, But in reality, as I work with hundreds of survivors, not only in my state, but all across the country, no, it's happening. When we look at our stats, it says that 80% of victims are U.S. citizens. I think sometimes we get this idea that it comes from third world countries, and it's not. It's happening in our own backyard. In my story of exploitation, I was sold in over 12 states total. 12 states. But it wasn't just me. There was a whole trafficking ring. There were other children, 12, 13, 14-year-olds. And I think that in some cases, we begin to think that some people believe it's just prostitution. 
Kids cannot consent to prostitution. Our kids are being trafficked. It's interesting because I think that that same thought process is a part of what allowed me to stay in modern day slavery as long as I did, because people didn't think it was happening. This is one reason why I'm against the terminology for sex workers or saying commercial sex, because when you say sex workers or commercial sex, it sounds as if it's an actual job and that individuals may not like their job. It may be uncomfortable and tedious, but it's a job that they chose. And no child chooses to have their body sold for sex and definitely not for over 1000 times. So with my grooming process, my trafficker took a couple of months and I was actually boyfriended into the life of exploitation. And what grooming process really looks like is the perpetrator taking the time to fully understand what are the vulnerabilities? Where can I enter into your life to then manipulate you into the actions that the perpetrator perpetrators want you to do? When kids are groomed today, where is that happening? Oh, all over. I think that that's the scariest part in the world that we live in. Um, when we look at the grooming process, the easiest way that kids are being groomed right now are on social media and online platforms. I think with COVID, it's kind of increased the nature of kids sitting behind the screen without parental control and guidance. As we consider the use of the word war on children, then it's also appropriate when you consider that there are several states, over five states now, that are making it a law, meaning it's legal to traffic children with gender dysphoria or traffic adolescents with gender dysphoria and their parents do not want them to have the genital surgeries or the hormone blockers. So if you go to these states, including California, Colorado, and Minnesota, it's considered a safe haven and it's called the Transgender Youth Trafficking Bill because these states are recognizing that it is indeed trafficking a child across state lines, but that they're making it illegal, quote unquote, trafficking because they're doing it for the quote unquote safety and for the rights of the child. When I think about my exploitation um, and starting as being trafficked when I was 14, my buyers knew how old I was and they purposely purchased me because I was underage. This last scene that I'm going to do the reaction for is based off of the Pornhub podcast with Asa Akira. And in it, she and four of her other co-hosts are actually talking about and normalizing her having sex with a 13-year-old boy. I think he could have easily passed for like, 15. Okay, if I he, were, he wasn't necessarily like an old-looking 13. He, You look at him and he's definitely a child. He's just like really like... He had the perfect tan. A child and doing adult and that shouldn't be considered statutory rape, and like it's consensual and no one, no one would consider that rape except maybe his mom. And that's mom. only if she's like a total. I think I think there's not one person that would think that's abuse and would just think how lucky that kid is. Pretty much. I mean, and we're specifically we're talking about Asa and this 13 year old kid. See, would you feel morally dirty if I went to the other room? Yeah. And this kid, like, would you no. look at me different? Yeah. Okay, not maybe would you look at me different, but like, would you think that I'm doing something wrong? Would, would you feel be, bad for the I kid? I would be so proud for, of both of you guys. It'd be fun because you'd go to prison and you really We're not talking about the law right now. Hold on, what are you, a f***ing like, do-jitter or something? I'm a snitch. Are you a snitch? Oh yeah. Would you snitch on us? It sounds like you would because yeah. you're so sure we'd go to jail. Yeah, what are you, we would never go to jail. I would just hurt you guys. 
What are you what? talking about? <laughs> what are you, the protector of 13-year-olds or something? I think somebody has What to. a nerd. So I don't even have the words, but I'm grateful that at least one person on that podcast recognized that they were explicitly acknowledging that this 13-year-old boy was indeed a child and that only one person was saying that that is considered rape and that I would hurt you if you did that to a child. But do you see how they were making the one guy who was standing up for the safety of that child saying, oh, you know, you're, what are you, the, the safety police of all 13-year-olds? Or, oh, you're a snitch. Although we have to consider where these voices are coming from. These are people who are on the Pornhub podcast. So they're in the pornography industry. So their views of sexuality and safe sex is different from what the general public may consider. However, the fact that they were so willing to acknowledge that it was a child and then perceive pleasure out of that child and only one person was standing up for the safety of that child gives more information for the porn industry willingly exploiting children for their own sexual satisfaction. If you look on the Pornhub website, I mean, hopefully don't look on there, but if you are familiar with the Pornhub website, they do not use age verification for the models or the individuals who are posting the pornography on there. And for that reason, many of the individuals who are being trafficked who are children are being uploaded to these websites to produce CSAM, which is what we talked about last week for the child sexual abuse material. They are put on there deliberately to satisfy the sexual urges of pedophiles and Thankfully, the state of Virginia said enough is enough and they banned Pornhub from their state. And for that, unless Pornhub agreed to add age verification for every video with any individual who was in those videos. And so because Pornhub refused to do that, then they pulled out their money from the state of Virginia, hoping that Virginia legislators will give in. So I'm hoping that Virginia stays strong and considers the lives of children over possible revenue from the sexual exploitation of those children on Pornhub. So that was a lot that we were saying today, but I wanted to give my reaction to the film, The War on Children. If you watch it between, I think, today and maybe Sunday, it is free. I will also include the link directly to the website, waronchildren.com, in case you want to download it for yourself later. It's over two hours. I just gave you the points that were directly related to children that we've also talked about in previous episodes without going into too much of the political divisiveness of it. But it's very informative and very necessary. And I'm so glad that someone's being brave enough to post this content. But I do like to always give solutions for how we can protect the children in our families and in our communities. So first and foremost, vote for every election, including the elections for the school board. Remember the foundation for this current high exploitation of children and high sexualizing of children is because of the school system being allowed to keep information about the child private and away from the parents. But that's only because the individuals who are on the school boards who are advocating for this are projecting their own sexual interest and their own sexual desires onto the children. And if you don't vote in those school board elections, then anyone can then make it a law 
or set up a situation where a bill can be introduced to then create a law in your school zip code, in your school district, and then maybe in your state. So definitely vote every election, especially for the school boards, researching who those candidates are and what they stand for and what they propose to introduce into the school curriculum. You can also yourself look at the school curriculum to see what's being taught to your child or children and to see if that matches what your morals are or what you deem is appropriate for your child when it comes to sexuality and understanding natural biology of a male versus a female. Third, don't be afraid to speak up for what is right. As we heard from the pedophile's testimony that whenever he saw a family where the child was not being carefully monitored by a parent or when the father was absent or the father was weak and passive, then that's what made that child more vulnerable to his attacks for pedophilia. So be strong in what you believe as a parent, especially as a father, to speak out against these acts, to speak out against curriculum and against proposed legislation that will ultimately sexualize children, even if you don't even have any children. Please be brave enough to speak up for all children. Also, you can remember that even if your child is going to a private school, that your child is not necessarily safe. In the um, documentary, they do talk about the National Association of Independent Schools. And many of those private schools still teach the same gender ideology and gender dysphoria acceptance protocols that they do in the public schools. So don't assume that just because your child is going to a private school that he or she is safe from the ideology of child sexual exploitation. And lastly, watch the full two hours of the documentary War on Children. It's very insightful. It can give you a lot of insights on what is actually happening in your zip code and in your state and how you can protect children as well as protect yourself from being gaslit by legislation and fake scientific studies that are being manipulated to make it appear that children are sexual beings and not children. And therefore, not only is it a legal right that they should be entitled to, but it's also your moral obligation. So do not believe manipulated lying science that does anything to further the advancement of child exploitation. And you can also share this episode with a loved one and continue this conversation. And when you do, remember to do so using science and love. And if you run too fast.